Dear ones, I'd like to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Very, very good. Will you do me a favor? We have some guests here today, students that are looking at our university with loved ones. Will you do us a favor? Give them a warm welcome, please. Dear Father, this is my prayer for this morning, that these, your beloved, would not necessarily see Jim Lowe speaking, but my prayer is this, is that they would see you speaking through me. Because if that doesn't take place, and everything that takes place in this auditorium really doesn't amount to very much. So Lord, speak to hearts. And I pray this in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. I need to let you know that at the end of this message, I'm going to be giving an invitation for you to respond to. The theme for this semester has been in chapel. It's been focused on the love of God. John 3:16. for God so loved, for God so loves the world, for God so loves Jim Lowe. You see, entering into my office, as students stated, so few of us truly see ourselves. In fact, so few of us are able to truly love ourselves. As I read Mark chapter 12, I'm drawn to the conclusion that it's all right for us to love ourselves. And the way this happens is by looking at ourselves through God's eyes because he sees us as being precious. He sees us as being unique. He sees us as being individuals of great value. To be transparent, this was a part of God's word that I would read but did not apply to my own life for many, many years. I understood the words of Mark chapter 12 when I read them, but practically and experientially, they were incomprehensible to me to love oneself. And so I stand here today wanting you to know it's all right for you to love yourself. I know that some of you are probably thinking to yourself, what did Umfundisi just say, that it's all right for us to love ourselves? Now understand, I'm not talking about being filled with pride and being filled with arrogance or being filled with vainglory. I'm speaking about deep, compassionate, God-based love learning to love ourselves the way that we are loved by God. Not for us to be deluded in thinking that we can do nothing wrong or are without any flaw, but because we know that even with our flaws, even with our imperfections, even with all of our blemishes, dear ones, can I share something? We are still loved by Almighty God. You see, 2 Corinthians states these words. Praise be to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the parent of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we received from God. These are amazing verses which are telling us that we can be thankful to God for his compassion, that we are loved wholly. We are not loved just partially, but we are loved wholly by the God of love. And yet so many believers know this in their heads, but this message has not reached and touched their hearts. One parishioner put it this way, it's hard enough to love and forgive those around us, but it's even harder to love and to forgive ourselves. You see, I can reflect, I can come along and state that I was exactly like that parishioner. I've had three earthly fathers, and these men related to me in ways that caused me to dislike myself for many, many years. My first father caused me to remember that I am illegitimate. When I was around 17 years old, I realized that I was fathered by a Roman Catholic priest. 
Now, you need to listen to that. This message is not here bashing the Roman Catholic Church because there have been Baptists, there have been Methodists, there have been Pentecostals, there have been Charismatics, there have even been Wesleyans who have not lived lives of sexual integrity. I'm just sharing my story with you this morning. That during his vacations, this man of the cloth would remove his clerical garb, take my then young mother on outings, which became highly emotional and physical. I was one of three children that was produced from this secretive relationship. Though my mother was silent about this union, I was able to begin to piece the following information together. That it seems that this priest kept promising my mother that he would leave the priesthood. He would find a teaching job and then he would come and marry her. But the problem is this never happened. Because at the age of 40, he got cancer and died. So I never knew this man. And therefore, even though he had fathered me, I never really knew him as my father. But even though I never met him, he did have an influence upon my life. For years, I grappled with issues of wondering who my father was. And when I found out and realized that I was an illegitimate child, shame and embarrassment filled my heart. In fact, part of my brother Billy, has the way that his life has turned out, part of it is due because of, because of feeling the exact same way I felt as a young person. In his junior year of high school, my brother Billy was elected, selected to be a Connecticut scholar, a high honor that gave him recognition in a high school academic arena. People predicted that my brother Billy was going to be a great success in life. He attended Yale University where he received a master's degree in art. Any school would have loved to have had him come on board as a teacher for them. But the shame, the embarrassment of being illegitimate overcame him. Today, my brother Billy, at the age of 65, he lives as a homeless person wandering the streets of Oakland, California. In high school, I was required to read a book that was titled The Scarlet Letter. This book caused me to reflect on my own shame and embarrassment. I felt that every time someone looked at me, all they could see was the capital I for illegitimate tattooed upon my forehead. Phyllis Turbuck, a psychologist, wrote, I see pain on the faces of my clients when I ask them if their parents were married when they were born. Their body language shifts and their countenance changes. I can see shame and embarrassment as they say, I'm illegitimate. Often my clients, she will continue, will tell me, my parent was ashamed of me. I was not wanted and I have always felt rejected. I feel guilty for ruining my mother's chances at life. Word curses of rejection began early within my own life. My mother kept telling me repeatedly that even though she didn't, she had considered putting us boys up for adoption and how she could have gotten so much money if she had done that. Well, this knowledge invited rejection and insecurity to begin their destructive work in my life. My second father left me feeling insecure. My mother, in the course of time, had an intern at one of the hospitals on the East Coast. Wing Kei Lo was a promising young doctor moving up the ladder of medical prestige. Upon meeting my mother, they fell in love. They got married while still here in America. You see, in our present day, one does not think much about getting married without parental consent. But in the mid-1950s, this was unheard of, especially among those of ancient descent. 
And thus when my mother with her three sons and my second dad arrived in Hong Kong to meet and to live with his parents, the reception that was received was icy cold. My, his mom and other relatives began calling my mother a whore because she had three kids out of wedlock. The strain got so bad that during this time, my mom had a nervous breakdown. Upon her recovery, the decision was made that she should return to the United States, earn money so that we kids can then come over first, come back to America, and then she would earn more money so that her husband could join us eventually. For months, us three boys were under the care of our second dad. But the problem was is that he was so heartbroken and so focused on his medical profession that he never spent any time with us at all. We were basically taking care of a hired nanny. And thus I did not know my first father since I never met him and I did not know my second father because he was always absent. But then after a time, my mother was able to earn enough money to send for her three children. But a few days before my stepfather was to climb aboard a plane to come in to join us, we got the news that he had committed suicide. It may not have been fully logical, but in the, in, in the immature mind of a young boy, I felt unloved and unwanted. Here my mother had left us to go to the States, and here my second dad had no time for us, and especially when he killed himself, I felt totally abandoned. I also remember my mother when she would get angry with us boys, make statements that would go something like this, if you weren't around, my life would be so much easier. And so you need to know that I have dealt with feelings that I'm not, that I am always in the way, that the lives of others would be so much better if I wasn't around. I ask questions that go something like this, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me that my own mother and stepfather did not want to hang out with me? And thus to be very transparent with those in this auditorium, I have lived in a state of insecurity. Even today I find myself sometimes asking the question, I wonder if people really like me or just pretend to like me. Because I come along and I begin to rationalize that people really got to know me. There can't be much that's good in me that they would like. In fact, for years to try to alleviate the nagging, consuming feelings of insecurity, I sought for affirmation of others. I sought for the attention to be upon me since I felt attention showed that I was liked, whether greatly or just in a tiny bit. But like an addiction, the need for attention grew out of proportion. I began having crazy ideas regarding the type of attention that I wanted and I felt that I needed. Insecurity can make one think up some crazy things as one seeks for what I term addictive attention. And so let me play out a crazy idea that a student once presented to me. And so this is what he shared. So I'm gonna ask you to actually do this. If you have a cell phone, Will you do me a favor? Will you take out your cell phone if it has a camera on it? Okay, so once you have that, kind of wave it up to me so I can see that you're actually listening to me. Good, good. Then once you get it up, will you do me a favor? Go to the back of your camera and I want you to get, take a picture of me. So you understand what I'm asking you to do? Now, hold a second. I got to get into the right pose. Did you get it? Now you're saying, what is this nut doing? <laughs> well, once you've done that, this is what else I want you, I would love for you to do. I would love you now to send it out on social media with a caption, Umfundisi Jim is a great guy. 
so that every time I go to social media, every time I see your posting, it will make me feel as if I am liked, allowing me then to feel good about myself. Well, now, many of you already know, you don't need to do that, <laughs> but many of you already know that the problem of this idea is this type of attention can only make a person feel good for a while. Because once the attention shifts and becomes centered on someone else, the feelings of the past have a way of getting resurrected. And like a drug addict, the insecure attention seeker will then crave for more attention, only to realize the drug of attention does not bring lasting satisfaction unless that satisfaction comes from the person of Jesus Christ. My third father, became part of the reason I oftentimes still feel very inadequate. After a few years of my mother living as a single parent, she remarried. But this marriage was not based on love, but it was based on perceived convenience. My mother was looking for a man whom she thought would be financially well off to take care of her and her three children. At first, things looked really good, looked very promising. But when financially lucrative employment opportunities did not come to my third father, our family went through years of financial struggle. Due to issues of his own upbringing, a divorce in which his wife decided to marry his younger brother, and because of feeling as if he was a financial failure, anger began to fill the heart of my third father. It was an anger that that, that caused it, that it went so deep that it caused him to separate himself from us. The relationship that he had with my mother became very toxic. And before long, my mother began telling her children, to include myself, that she wanted us to grow up, get lucrative jobs, and show him how much better that we were than he was. I actually started my college career signing up, taking a bunch of nurse, uh, science courses to prepare myself to become a rich doctor. But towards the end of my freshman year, I responded to the call to enter into full-time ministry. Well, you all know the chances of great riches coming my way quickly fa faded away. I remember when I was invited to teach at Indiana Wesleyan, my mother wanted to know how much I would be earning. I thought that she would be so proud of her son, who was now a professor at a cool university. But when I told her what I was going to be getting, salary-wise, she walked away from me, and I could hear her say loud enough, that's not very much at all. Her desire for me to show up, father number three, did not work out the way that she wanted, and she made sure that I knew this all the time. And so throughout my life, I have felt like that I had to achieve, always needing to excel if I was to be accepted, if I was going to be liked. I felt that I had to show up father number three in order for my own mother to be proud and accepting of me. But the fact is this, no matter how much I did, how much I achieved, I still did not feel fully accepted. My thinking for years went something like this. Since my mom and stepfather never accepted me, why would and should anyone else? And so I've had three fathers who left me knowing that I was illegitimate, making me feel insecure, making me feel inadequate. You see, for years there was this constant loathing of myself. But upon becoming a Christian, I did read the Gospel of Mark, and I did read Mark chapter 12, verse 31, and I should have seen the part about loving oneself, but my focus was on the parts that talked about loving God and loving others. To love myself? 
No ways. But it was a Christian buddy of mine who shared the following, that as children of God, we need to remember that we are each important, we are each precious, and we are each boundlessly loved by God. And then it hit me. I have a father with a capital F who desires the best for me because he loves me. You see, whereas I once felt I was worthless because of being illegitimate, I began to realize I do have a father who created me for a purpose. The psalmist in Psalm 139 wrote about our body, our soul, and spirit having been formed and skillfully wrought by God with each day of our life fashioned in detail like the pages of a book. Our existence, our features, and our abilities are not a mistake because, hear this, dear ones, my God doesn't make a mistake. I can remember, I can remember um, telling someone that I was an illegitimate child. And the person then looked at me with sadness in his eyes and made a statement that went something like this. Oh, so you were a mistake. And so once again, bluntly hear this. I am not a mistake. Or can I put it in another way? I am created unique. There is no one else like me. And I say that in a good way. I fill a special spot in this world. Can I share? I fill a special spot at this university. You better like me. There aren't that many Chinese here. <laughs> I want you to know this, that you also fill a special spot in this world. Maybe you don't like something about the way that you look or one of your personality traits. Maybe you don't think that you excel at something like sports or music, or it seems like you don't have many skills compared to someone else. But who can be a better example and helper to others that you personally may know? Who can express an act of kindness like you? Who can share something encouraging like you with individuals that you come in contact with? Who can fill needs maybe only you and God together can see and meet? You see, dear ones, you are custom made for the good works that God has prepared for you. When an evil one seeks to discourage me, I tell him, I am no mistake. God knew what he was doing when he created me. And for those of you who can identify with what I'm talking about this morning, I want you to know something as well. Neither are you a mistake. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You see, we need not look down on what God has created and what God loves. I recognize I may not have the highest IQ. I may not be the greatest athlete. I may not be the best communicator. But I do know this. I'm good looking. <laughs> but being serious. <laughs> Sonny, I'm going to smack you. <laughs> but being serious, God the Father has had an amazing plan for my life. He desired and he has used me to help others along the way. And so you need to listen to this. Some of you that again are identifying with what I'm talking about. You may not have the highest IQ. You may not be the greatest athlete. You may not be the, the greatest, best communicator out there. You may not have the most charismatic personality. 
But I want you to know that's all right because you need to know this. God the Father has an amazing plan for your life and he desires to use you to help other people because, dear ones, he loves you. You see, knowing I have a heavenly Father helped me to realize that I may not feel totally, in, that I may feel totally inadequate, but he can equip me to be adequate. That when I felt useless, he has made me feel useful. When words that were used to put me down when I was young seek to still flood my mind, I have learned to quote out loud verses from the Bible. One of my favorite verses, Jim, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And then personalizing what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. It is not that I think I am qualified to do anything on my own. My qualification comes from Almighty God. And so, dear ones, knowing that we have God as our Father should help us to realize that our lives have incredible value. We are loved by the lover of our souls. In fact, I want you to know... Last night when I went to bed, I was feeling a little down. And so when I went to bed, I came along and said, God, can you please give me a tangible sign that you still love me? You know what time I woke up this morning? 3.16. We are sons and daughters of God. If you feel illegitimate, if you feel inadequate... If you feel insecure, you need to know this. You are of incredible value of God. Jesus states that we are to love ourselves in the same way, in a manner that we love others, in the same way, manner that we love ourselves. This, therefore, presupposes that we have a positive spiritual view of who we are. We need to look in God's mirror to see ourselves as the Heavenly Father sees us. And by doing so, we can better understand how to both love ourselves and thereby love God and others as well. A healthy spiritual love of self will enable us to love God and others. If you feel as I have, pray to God to open your eyes to see your true worth, which will then allow you to see the worth of those who are around you. Look at yourself through the eyes of God. Max Lucado wrote these words of great encouragement. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flower every spring and a sunrise every morning. Face it, friend, God is crazy about you. You see, dear ones, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to hear these words of reality. That unless we love and compassionately care for ourselves, we will never truly be able to fully love our neighbor as God wants us to love them. Well, as I shared, for years I felt as though I was a loser, that no one really loved me. I grappled with negative thoughts about myself. How can a loser like me ever be happy? I'm illegitimate. I'm inadequate to do anything good. Too dumb, too slow. And I'm insecure, therefore I will never be able to do anything significant. I hated myself for being a loser. I felt broken. But at a really low spot in my life when suicidal thoughts haunted my mind. When I had gotten a knife out and ready to slash my wrists. It was during that time that God then used two friends, a brother and sister, Andy and Nancy, to minister to my despondency. They shared with me that I had a heavenly father who loved me deeply and dearly. 
They went on to tell me that no matter what put-downs I may have received and believed, I was a winner in Jesus Christ. They then came along and took out a sticker given to grade students when they do well on a homework assignment, and they stuck it on me and they said, Jim, God doesn't make junk. Because of Christ's death and resurrection, you are a winner. I want you to know, I, rec I recognize I still grapple with emotions from the past, but I stand here today wanting you to know that if your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have one with him, he will be there to remind you that you are not junk, but you are a winner in him. I'm going to invite the student chaplains if they wouldn't come forward. The worship team is going to come and they're going to play some songs. And this is the response which I would like to make. As I shared, when I was coming along and was very despondent at the time which, in which I wanted to commit suicide, my friends came along and they had a sticker that said winner on it and they gave it to me and they stuck it in a place that I could see it so that any time the evil one would try to come along and tell me that I was a loser, I could look at that little sticker and be reminded I am a winner. This is what I'd like to invite you to do. Some of you need to come to the altar and just kneel down for a few seconds and saying, God, help me to get refocused. Help me to see myself as you see me. If that's your case, and I invite you then to come and kneel at these altars here. And then when you get up, the chaplains will come along and give you a sticker. Some of you may already know where your, what your position in Jesus Christ is. But you would like to have something that reminds you on a continual basis that you are a winner. And I recognize it's a little bit hokey. But dear ones, sometimes I need stickers as a reminder. I invite you to come forward to get a sticker so that you can place it somewhere that you can look at it and always be reminded you are loved by God and you are a winner in Jesus Christ. Will you do me a favor? Will you stand up? Will you respond to the love of God?